Hey, this is Scott Warren from the D.O. Disciples, and you're listening to Focus on Metal. Metalheads, we are back once again. Strange Highways Exit 5. And uh, this is kind of an interesting one in that we had a little convoluted story in order to get the guy we have on tonight. And I'm going to let Rishi relate that. But it's even more of a thing. It's because that artist that we're featuring tonight, that being Scott Warren, has actually come back to Rishi being, hey, when am I on? When I So yeah. like the, the one of the, the few artists that's been really so into this and you can really hear it in the interview too how how happy he is that we're doing this but it was really cool to have him reaching back out to us the bigger story and richie's sitting right here with me yep. is um is kind of the whole chain of events that actually dropped scott warren in our lap when we didn't think we were going to have any kind of access to him at all so no, take I, it. Di- I didn't um i didn't know he played on the album hmm. he's not pictured on it it's just vinnie ronnie jeff and tracy and, G. and he's not credited on he's it not, either no he's not and when we interviewed Jeff, um, I asked him about playing keyboards on the album, and he mentioned Scott Warren, and I said, "Oh, Scott played on it." And so I said, "Okay, I figured if he played on it, I'll I'll try and get him." So um, I uh, I contacted Rudy Sarzo, who plays with Scott for Dio Disciples, and he gave me Niji's management info. So I emailed. A guy in, in the manage, uh, Dio's management, and they lined me up with Scott, more or less straight away, um, which was great. Um, you know, I I, I was really surprised mm. um, because you know it, it happened so quickly, and yeah. I didn't know he played on the album. So here's an extra episode, right, for someone who'd played with with Ronnie. Of course, I knew he'd played with Ronnie since the mid '90s, but. I didn't know he'd actually played on the Strange Highways album, and I didn't know what tracks he played on either, mm. um, because it's not as keyboard heavy right. as uh, the earlier stuff. Um, so it, it was great getting Scott on, and he was a great interview. Yeah, it, it was cool. And the added bonus, I mean, first the, the whole coolness that you know you we got him by you going to Rudy, and Rudy going to Niji, and Niji hooking us up with him was really cool. But the other cool thing that I, I'm feel gratified by is that we actually get to set the record straight on this extra player on the album mm-hmm. that, that even Scott talks about the fact that there is keyboards on here by Jeff and Jeff is credited for keyboards on there. But, you know, even, you know, Jeff, as Jeff told us that Scott was on there. So it's, it's nice that on a, for a you know, larger part of the world now gets to know that Scott Warren was on this album as well. So yeah. it's, it's, you know, get so, his credit. So he'd played with Ronnie from 93 to up to when he died. Yeah, and he yeah. he played with Heaven and Hell, right? So he'd been on nearly he'd been on everything Ronnie had recorded, which is something else that I don't think a lot of people knew either. Is is some of you know him playing live with Heaven and Hell and stuff like that. So yeah. it's, it's also good that people for this one are getting to know really the contribution that Scott made with Ronnie in a much fuller picture than probably anybody's gotten, which is great. I, I think it's it's good that he's well, we'll get his due off of this as well. So definitely. I, I thought that it came out really well. Uh a great scoop on your part and the fact that, you know, what we 
what we got on this from Scott was is definitely some really cool stuff. Some of it probably might even be the first time he's talked about some of it. So it was, uh, I think, a good interview. Yeah, it was a very good interview. There's some questions I think I asked him, and he was like, oh, uh, I don't think he was expecting them, but you, you might pick them out in the interview. If you do, you do. If you don't, yeah. if you don't, you don't. But um, yeah, we got about guts of an hour with him. Yeah. Um, you know, really nice guy, still on tour with the Disciples. Um, he's doing other stuff, you know, playing on other people's albums and, you know, he's keeping himself busy. So, yeah, it's it was great getting him on because, as I said before, you know, I've, I've got everyone now. So, you right. know, it was just nice to get that extra person that you didn't think was on it and actually get hooked up to right. Dio's management to actually get the guy. Yeah, and you're right. He's, he is a very busy guy. Right now, he's actually doing work on the brand new Hellion mm-hmm. CD yep. with, with Anne Boleyn. Mm-hmm. And uh, he's doing that with uh, Simon's playing drums on it. And also um, another Focus on Metal guest, Maxwell Carlisle, is doing guitar work on it. So I was really stunned to, like, I found that. I was like, oh, crap, like, now Scott's doing that. So yep. it's pretty cool. Um, it's also cool because some of the tracks on that particular CD, and you can find all the details on the Focus on metal.blogspot.com for that is that um, there's even a couple tracks on there that were produced by Ronnie at Sound City with Hellion that have never been released as well. So it's a it's a, a mix of stuff for this double CD. So cool package, but Scott's involved in that. He seems to get involved in a lot of stuff. Seems to be a guy in demand. I'm sure he's on the the Dio tribute album that's coming out too pretty soon with Metallica and probably all, all the yeah. major guys. All yeah, the big, a lot of big heavy hitters that. are on yeah. that. So. I'm sure he's got a role in that, but um, I think one of the things that I got out of the interview is um, how much passion he has for playing the music, Dio's music. Still, that the Dio disciples go out for, they go out for the right reasons. Mm-hmm. They're not, they're not making a, a shitload of money off this. Um, they, they don't, they tour sporadically. They just love playing the music. Yeah, he, he. I think that you're right. It comes off in the interview that he really feels that this is part of his calling. Yeah. To to keep the memory of this music alive and bring it to people that perhaps never heard it live before and all of that, and doing it for all of the right reasons. Yes, as well. definitely. And I think that really comes through in the. It interview. does. It does come through. Yeah. So. So what do you think? I mean, we've got a ton of audio from him, so we probably should just let's dive into it. Let him talk. We've talked enough.
So Scott, can you just tell us what you, what what albums and what what music you were playing you were doing before you got the call to play on Strange Highways? Oh, um, well, I was I had uh, played with Warrant for a time, mm-hmm. um, and uh, let's see, right around the, no, I hadn't I had played with Berlin, but that was just shortly after um, Keel, okay. um, in a in a bunch of miscellaneous things, <laughs> and then. Who, who called you from, from Dio's management to, to ask, could you play on the album? Well, the album part was uh, kind of a fluke because Jeff Pilson and I, and as a matter of fact, Craig Goldie, um, had started our own band at the time, uh, sort of a progressive, heavy progressive rock type thing. Mm-hmm. Kind of, We were kind of going back to our roots, Jeff and I, and then uh, it was going to be you know, mostly keyboards, and then Jeff and I decided we should get a guitar, so we got Craig Goldie, and we had this chemistry going on. And then Jeff got the call to play with Dio. Uh, I guess Jimmy Bain was uh, kind of, I don't know, lost and fa- lost and found or whatever. So, um, <laughs> so I uh, just started writing with Ronnie, and then they had found Tracy G. So when it came time to do the record, um, you know, Jeff and I were still working on our own stuff, but uh, Jeff said, guess what, I, <clears throat> I've done some of the keyboards, but I, I told Ronnie I, I'd really like to have someone come in that's a real keyboard player, <clears throat> and that, that would be you. So I just went in and did it. Um, you know, Jeff had already mapped out a lot of it. Uh, he and I um, kind of had worked together, like I said, so he had a good idea, you know, what, what I would do and especially what I would do with what he had already done. So it was, it was, a, pretty, uh, it was a pretty fun experience. And um, at that point, it was just, uh, I just came in and stepped in to do the record. I had known Ronnie from the past, um, just in passing. You know, we met at Sound City a bunch of times. And actually, he came in and sang on the Keel record with us. Okay. Kind of a cameo on the, on the Keel record I did. Yeah. So, <clears throat> so it was pretty easy. It was a lot of fun, and Mike Frazier was great. And uh, that was that. And I was really impressed when I heard the record. I thought, wow, this is really different. Yeah, so how, how far into the, the actual recording were they when you went in to do your parts? Well, keyboards are usually kind of towards the end. You know, they're considered sweetening. Okay. Um, although they, a lot of the songs have been uh, written with keyboards in mind, um, when, like I said, with Jeff. So he had already kind of uh, started the thread where, where they belonged in the music, but it was pretty much close to being mixed before I went in. Yeah. <clears throat> so I got to hear a lot of the songs in their almost completed state, and I just was very impressed. I thought, wow, this, this is um, a new, a sort of a new era for Dio. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's a very heavy album, all right. It's a lot heavier yeah. than the, the early stuff. So you really didn't get much of a chance to actually do much of the, the writing on that. It was more, like you said, kind of the sweetening at the back end of it. Myself, yeah. 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 I, I pretty much came in. Everything was written. Yes. But now on the next one, when you went to Anger Machines, did you kind of have more input on that one because you were kind of already there? Yeah, exactly. Okay. Yeah. Cool. So on Angry Machines, I kind of, you know, Ronnie started to give me a lot more freedom. Um, it, you know, it, it was difficult because that was a time when, um, you know, most of the music industry was breaking away from keyboards somehow. So uh, with the grunge movement and everything, keyboards became sort of, uh, you know, the, you know, and and Ronnie, I, I, you know, I'm not going to use a word there because I don't agree with it. But um, but Ronnie, you know, always um, had an affinity for keyboards. He he kind of 
found a place for them in rock and in, in metal and uh so he he respected keyboards but i think he was always also trying to you know at that point right around uh the, the going tide uh that was going on with all that controversy Mm-hmm. Yeah, I was going to ask you about that because it seemed to be, if I was a keyboard player, I think Ronnie would be the sweet gig for me because he seemed to be like the, one of the first guys, you know, with putting Claude right out there where a lot of bands were taking the keyboard player and putting them off stage or behind the stage or under the stage and pretending like they didn't have one. But Ronnie was kind of like, screw that. And he would put Claude right out there. So did you kind of have the same feeling of like, wow, this is like finally a gig where, you know, I can be proud to be the keyboard player and I'm going to be right out there with everybody. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Well, you know, um, I, when I actually started touring, you know, I'll I'll be honest, I started, you know, I started sort of in the shadows a little bit and, uh, you know, because a gig like that, a lot of things have to also do with how do you blend in with everybody else, you know, and, and things like that. So he, he kind of took it slow with me. I mean, he was really used to having Claude for so long, and uh but eventually yeah it was it was um it was like yeah this is this is what i you know always wanted to do i had i had done other like i said with keel and in one i was on stage i was you know quite visible but i i was you know i was taken back in the in the 80s by that whole thing about let's hide the keyboard player i wasn't used to it i i came out of the 70s where keyboards were you know deep purple and, mm-hmm. and everything and uh, keyboards were you know prominent and then all of a sudden in the 80s it started to become uh this thing of well we're we're gonna you know start a new a new idea i didn't i didn't like that at all of course being a keyboard player but <laughs> but ronnie you know he, like i said he kind of dipped around all that you yeah. know and i respected him for it yeah, yeah. I, can, I remember once we i had gone and saw um Cinderella in their first headlining tour and I was actually sitting behind the stage and it was like the the big joke the whole time was that they had this keyboard player and he was in just a little you know like fabric box totally hidden from the audience in the front and you know just playing and playing away every song he was playing and nobody could see him it was even funnier was the fact that he had still had the big hair and he was dressed in the you know full spandex outfit and all that but he was in this little box that nobody ever saw the guy unless you were actually like behind the stage and it just that was always stuck with me of like wow that's that's just got to be a gig that's just not fun <laughs> well I, I i wasn't laughing at him um as much as the situation yeah yeah you know, I have to say, well, whoever that is you're talking about must have taken the job seriously, and I got to respect him for that, to put up with that kind of nonsense. Yeah. Um, you know, I mean, I, you know, I, when I played with Heaven and Hell, it, well, let, let me start by saying, you know, I, I had been on stage most of my career, and um, I started to play with a couple bands in L.A., some up up and coming type bands, a band called Lion, for instance, mm-hmm. uh, which was with Doug Aldridge and Cal Swan and actually Jerry Best, and um, I kind of that was that was one of the first bands I ever just went in at more or less like an audition and went in and said, okay, here I am, and uh, I started discussing you know what what the image and all, the band was all us, and they kind of looked at each other and they said, well, you're not going to be on stage. I said, "Oh, really? I'll see you later." <laughs> <laughs> wow! Yeah, I, it was. It's. It is. It's. It's just kind of amazing how you know. Sometimes people always joke about kind of you know the the bass player always kind of getting short shrift, but 
uh, just keyboard players, it seems like the same thing. I, you know, back in like the late '80s, we had this keyboard player, Chris, who was actually probably the best musician in the band. And there was like a lot of promoters that were always asking us, "Well, why do you always have him like out front with you guys and stuff?" And it's like he's in the band. He helps yeah. write the songs. He's like the best freaking musician we have. We're, we're not putting him anywhere else. It's like we won't play here if you guys can't get over that. It just, it just really, it, it was kind of a sucky attitude people had. Yeah, it was. It you was. See, what if it was the guitar player or whatever? You know. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, would you stick John Lord behind the stage? Like, no, of course not. Yeah, or Rick Wakeman or Keith Emerson. Yeah. I, I mean, I, I um, and, and, or even you know, look at Led Zeppelin. I mean, you know, um, because. He, you know, he was a bass player, but he also was the keyboard player as well, and they mm-hmm. certainly didn't see him, you know. Yeah. And that was an integral part of their music. But, you know, it, it, it was what it was. I mean, I guess a, a, some of that might have had also had to do with technology because keyboards had lost their identity, and I kind of saw that happening, uh, mainly because of the introduction of poly- polyphonic synthesizers, whereas up until that point, um, keyboards had been a real instrument, more, more or less, not just something where you could press a button, all of a sudden you sound like a trombone. And so uh, because of that, uh, a lot of the, the the keyboard sounds became sort of indistinct, as opposed to, say, uh, an organ like John Lord, who mastered the concept of bringing an organ into a rock band, uh, but you could identify with that instrument. It was an organ, and you knew that sound. It was a cool sound. The keyboard started to sound a little bit washy because it was all synthesizers that couldn't sound like anything, and they, they kind of lost their identity, and maybe that has a, a, a little bit to do with it. Also, I think um, there was quite a bit of greed going on, you know. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, I, I wanted to say that also in in, in, in um, contrast to, uh, you know, playing with Heaven and Hell, for instance, if he... In, in the most recent bout of my career, and um, you know, I mean, but that that was a situation where, <clears throat> after all these years, I finally said, you know what, I I need to be behind the stage because this is a band that, you know, although they've always had keyboards, um, it's it's always been these four guys and and Ronnie. I don't think Ronnie really agreed with it anyway, but you know that that was what it was, and um, and I was honored to be playing with them in any capacity, you know, and I think that it was more for me in that sense, it was a matter of respect of, um, you know, all, you know, all of a sudden there's a keyboard player or what? What's going on here? <laughs> People knew I was there.
did kind of bum me out because i we actually me and my daughter had gone to see heaven and hell twice and one of the times she did say like dad who's who's doing keyboards and uh-huh. it was like pissed me off because i was like i don't know who's doing keyboards i know somebody is and <laughs> you know if, i guess if it had been somebody somebody uh you know older i would have said well maybe it's you know maybe they brought jeff back to do them or something you know but yeah. uh you know just kind of riffing on jeff nichols a little bit but yeah it, it kind of irked me a little bit that i knew that someone was doing keyboards but i didn't know who it was yeah, I mean, I I always felt that, um, you know, if if something's being played, it should be seen. If it's being performed, you know, because then then it because then it opens this whole area of like, well, what's on tape? Because it's so easy now uh, to to have supporting tapes. I mean, that's nothing new. Queen did that. They yeah. had all their bo- vocals running, you know, f- probably from a two inch tape, but uh, uh, back then, you know, um, but. You know, but these they were still performing the parts that they were that they were you know, that were being played for the most part. And uh, from a visual point of view, I mean, it's like if you're going to go see a show, you want to see these guys playing it, and all of a sudden half the show is being done from behind a curtain. You know, I, I find that a little disappointing. You know, but it, you know, it, it is each each thing is what it's what it is. You know, yeah. And I appreciate the compliment. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no problem. As far as going out on on tour with with uh, with Dio to do the Strange Highways tour, I mean, how was that tour for you? It was great. I had a, re- I had a really good time. Um, you know, Ronnie was a little younger then, and uh, you know, and in a, a really good spirits, and it was just a blast. It really was. Yeah. Um, Jeff, I love. You know, Jeff's just a funny guy, and he keeps everybody. He's so high energy and high spirited all the time. He keeps everybody on their toes and laughing. And Vinny, of course, is a is a comedian, and uh, you know, and and Tracy G is this cool guy. And we, him and me, used to sit in the back of the bus and cause all kinds of trouble. <laughs> <laughs> now the two, you started off with a little over two and a half months in Europe. Had you ever been on tour for that long in Europe before that? Europe, actually, no, no. I, I kind of, I kind of got acquainted with Europe on that tour. Yeah. Yeah. So, did you get a chance to actually see much of it, or were you just, you know, going on bus to bus to all the different shows? Oh yeah, they used to call me Boots, <laughs> <laughs> and because every day I would, you know, while they were resting or sleeping, I'd go out on an adventure, and I, you know, I'd go out to try to find. You know, instead of sitting in my hotel room in Berlin, I go to try to find the wall. You know. Yeah. <laughs> And I had a lot of adventures, and uh, and I, 
I kind of had a little bit of freedom to do that um, because, of, again, as my sort of a supportive, supportive role at that time as a keyboard player. But So, yeah, I got to see Europe quite a bit. Yeah, any, any favorite spots that you can remember at that time? You know, back then, um, that, if I remember our first tour of really, it was a, mostly Germany mm-hmm. and in the wintertime. And so, um, I mean, and, and so I uncovered, you know, every place that Hitler went and all this stuff and, you know, railroad. Some of the gigs we did were in these old buildings where actually there was a lot of history and, and, uh, and you know, a lot of the, stories a lot of legends about well you know hitler had meetings here and stuff like that and there were railroad all these old railroad tracks that would lead in and out and, and you know there's this old building and you could just imagine the things that might have gone on there you know yeah. and uh there's a couple places where there were actual tunnels that were in the gig uh there's this one gig uh, i don't know if it's still there but as a gig is i'm sure the location still there's one place in vienna that that we used to play kind of a few times it's a big submarine factory i mean the ceiling was so high uh you couldn't you know get a flashlight just to shine on the ceiling the buses would pull in and they would be just like you know like nothing compared and there were uh there were <clears throat> railroad tracks going all around the building where they would uh, they would the legend was they'd have Jewish women pushing these these things uh, around the submarine factory, and there were tunnels underneath it. So, you know, of course, I had to go exploring in those tunnels. I found it was such a big maze of tunnels that you could easily get lost. It all looked the same. If you took the wrong turn, boom, you could you could be lost in there forever. Spinal tap. Yeah, it's very spinal tap. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so, yeah. It was, you know, I really did get to uh, experience a lot of that. And also because at that time, Germany was still pretty gray. I mean, now it's very westernized. I, I saw the change come about within a few tours at that time you'd ride into one of those cities those east berlin and the eastern block you'd ride in and it was still cobblestone streets and no lights and you know and and apartment buildings that looked like prisons and the whole thing and ronnie would tell us stories about back in the day what this was like and so yeah there there was quite a bit of that it's an interesting question that you brought up mm-hmm. <laughs> you know because i didn't think i'd have too much to say about it but yeah yeah. Was, what did you make of the food, Scott? Because, like, you probably tell, I'm from Ireland, and I've had a lot of American people say that when they come over to Europe, they they don't like the food at all over there. So, what did well, you make of the food? Yeah, the, <laughs> it, it was very, because you order a pizza, and the Europeans don't think it's a pizza unless they put peas and corn. And, yeah. <laughs> you know, and uh, so it it took a little getting used to. You know, um, it just depends. It's like everywhere else. Um, yeah. You know, it's an acquired taste. Yeah. So when you, when you actually played played the shows, um, how did you approach playing Claude's parts live? Well, you know, well, most of what we were doing at the time was Strange Highways. I mean, we were we had it. We did a few of the obvious. I think we did Last in Line and things like that. I mean, mm-hmm. I always tried to stay respectful to the album, <clears throat> what parts were played on the album, um, and bring that to the stage and. And it's still going to be live because I'm putting my own spin on it. So, so, and I, and I you know, I have a, a, a good respect for Claude. The things, the, the, the things that, you know, I know that Ronnie uh, played a role in a lot of it because uh, Ronnie was very musically uh, minded. You know, he, he had a good grasp of what he wanted and what he wanted to hear. And uh, so I just, uh, I felt honored to play some really good keyboard parts and not just some schlocky stuff. Yeah. Yeah. 
So when you did Europe first and then you, you did America, did you find a, a big difference in crowd reaction as far as acceptance to the new songs between the European audience and the American audience later on? Oh, yeah, yeah. But, I mean, it was still, uh, America still hadn't, I hate to say, but, you know, it's it's pretty dead now, I think, America, unfortunately. Mm-hmm. I hate to say that. It's my country. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> then, it, then it wasn't so diverse. I mean, yeah, I, there was a difference. I mean, I noticed how, you know, the German fans were just hardcore and just, you know, they still are. And um, in and, and that time, I think it was uh, also part of that era where, uh, you know, Dio was used to being in big arenas and suddenly now we're thrust back into the club scene again. Because I think Ronnie hadn't toured as Dio for a while. For, uh, he did Dehumanizer in the interim there, I think. So, so it was kind of a sh- culture shock for him, too, I think, going back into the clubs. And also, I think, because I wasn't there before, but I think that was the first point in time to where we dropped off all the production. I mean, most of it anyway. I mean, we no longer had the spiders and the, or the dragons or any of that stuff. It was just the band, you know, some lights and mm-hmm. the band, and here you go, you know? Yeah. And so uh, there was a, a sort of a new return to, well, we really got to put on a good show here because we don't have anything else behind us to, uh, to make up for it if we don't. And, um, and I, I kind of noticed that. And Ronnie really took it to the hilt. Um, and, of course, Jeff Pilson's such a great performer, too. So, um, yeah, so we, we, we sort of hit the clubs, clubs again in the States. But the, the fans were really, they, uh, they, they really would come out doing, uh, I think it was Jesus, Mary, and the Holy Ghost. And it just, I thought, this is so bang on. These guys are loving this stuff, you know, because it was so heavy. Yeah. Now, were you surprised that um, you played like five or six songs off the new album in the set? Was I surprised? Yeah. Well, I had nothing to compare it to. I mean, I didn't know, you know, I mean, I didn't really... <clears throat> I wasn't really up on what Dio did last. You know, like I said, there was a break there with the humanizer and stuff. But um, I guess you're right. Yeah, there was quite a bit. We did quite a bit of the album. And also, like I said, it, and also it was sort of a new, uh, a new, sort of a new style for Dio. It, it seemed to be a radical um, direction, new direction. Yeah. I mean, it would necessarily left the old direction, which I respected too, but it, 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 definitely you can tell the difference. It's a quite pungent album, uh, and it definitely has a sound of its own. You mm-hmm. Agree? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, now when we listen to it, you kind of go, yeah, it's Dio. I think probably because there's so many other people that have come afterwards, I think, that have imitated that, even though a lot of people, you know, bitched about it when it came out. I think later on, people started to kind of catch on to it, and now there's a lot of bands that kind of do that same kind of sound. It was definitely different sounding then, but, you know, I think now we kind of look at it today's light, it's like, yeah, no, it's, yeah, it's still, it's still Dio. It's just a little bit different kind of Dio. You know, why not? It's like Sgt. Peppers versus, you know, uh, Revolver or something, Mm -hmm. you know? Yeah, and and uh, yeah, and I I always loved that album. I respect I respect it a lot. I wish uh, we would, had continued to do some of those songs as time went on. And um, and oh, there was something else that you made me think of. Is um, yeah, I mean now now that sound is sort of melted into a lot of the other newer metal bands too. So I'm I'm proud to have been uh, played a role in a, in a kind of groundbreaking album like that. And uh, so if you look at the sort of the preface of it, um, Ronnie had just come back from doing Dehumanizer, I think. 
And uh, and Jeff Dilson and I and Craig were in this band that were doing very much a similar kind of sound as that on because um, we were trying to be progressive yet heavy at the same time, not just four chord rock. We were trying to bring back the progressive aspect of music, and I think Dehumanizer was doing that as well. And I, Dehumanizer was pretty groundbreaking too. I thought. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So those two coming together on that sort of new idea and then Tracy G just seemed to have already, you know, been there right on that same page too. I mean, his style was just like that very angular, very, you know, the, I'm not just going to go to the normal chord here. I'm going to go to something different. And, uh, and it all just worked together very well. You know? Yeah. Yeah. So, um, you know, you just kind of brought up kind of an interesting thought as you were talking and, you know, you're talking about Craig and also about Tracy, did you ever talk to Craig at all afterwards about what he thought about Tracy as a player at all? No, not really. Um, about Tracy, I mean, at the time, you know, it, it, because of the, the the sort of new direction, it was, you know, Craig's always been sort of the always do everything like it's supposed to be guy, you know, and he does that very well. And uh, and the Tracy G kind of mentality, I think, was I'm going to not do everything, anything like it was. <laughs> so it, you know, is but I I don't really want to engage in what anybody thought of anybody else, you know, because the well, honestly, I don't remember anybody really doing, you know, talking about each other and how they play, anyways. But you know, uh, but that's all I can really think of to say on that subject. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. And when Craig, I, but I can say this, that uh, I do know that I was shocked to hear that, you know, it was maybe time that Tracy G was going to be replaced by Craig. And, uh, and but I, underst- I, I understand um, that Lonnie was very, very much gave Tracy, you know, the, the, uh, the red carpet on that. I think just the way I, I, it came about to me was that he basically said to Tracy, look, you know, I mean, it's we've gone this far, but you know, I think our fan base is really craving some of the old solos and some of the you know things to go a little bit back, um, at least on the at least on the standards, at least on the, the songs like you know, "Don't Talk to Strangers" and things like that, where you know people are expecting to hear those solos, man. They're they're part they're part of the trademark of those songs. Can we try to do that? And I think Tracy just um, stuck by his own identity and said, you know, I, I really don't want to do that. Mm-hmm. And um, so I think that's kind of where they, they parted ways. And this is just my my observation. I don't know that for fact. Yeah, because it's interesting, like, when you listen to some of the stuff, like some of the songs on Magicka, and you listen to some of the stuff that Craig plays, and there's some things in there that sound very Tracy-like in the phrasing of it. And that's why I was wondering if Craig had ever listened a lot to Tracy or thought about some of the stuff that was cool or not. It's just just kind of something as a guitarist that I just kind of listened to and went, oh, that, listen to that now. And it just, some of it just sounds kind of very Tracy-like in the phrasing, that's all. Well, yeah, I mean, and, and also in the Tracy stuff is a little bit Tony Iommi-like and vice versa. I, I don't think that Tony Iommi listened to Tracy. I mean, as a, as a but you never know. I mean, he impressed me a lot as to how, you know, Tony uh, is a lot more aware uh, that I that I had expected uh, having worked with him, but back to your question is that you know it, I can't say you know yes or no, but I, I can only go back to what I said earlier, and that is that for some reason, 
at that point in time, 93, 94, I think we started in 92, um, for some reason, we all kind of, Craig, like I said, without having even done Strange Highways, the span that he and me and that him and I and Jeff were in, we're already doing that very style, you know, very similar. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and so when, when it came to Magica, um, it, to, to me, it was just another extension of what Craig had already done in the past with Jeff and I, and also probably a little bit with Dio in the past too. But there just seemed to be that movement going on without anybody, you know, thinking about what anyone else was doing. It just seemed to be the, the way to go. Maybe it was a way to work around the whole grunge scenario and the whole, you know, well, we've done this already type thing. Yeah. You know? So it just seemed, it's so interesting to me how Dehumanizer and Strange Highways, um, and then if you would have ever heard any of the uh, tracks that we did with Jeff, Craig, and I, you'd see the similarities just by coincidence. What sort of mood was Ronnie in at the time? Because, you know, he'd just come off Dehumanizer. Sabbath had disbanded again. Did he? Did you get the impression that like he had a chip on his shoulder, that he had something to prove to the to the Sabbath guys that you know? Because he he brought out Strange Highways pretty quickly after Dehumanizer uh-huh. and the tour. Uh, I didn't know. I, I all I noticed about I, I I go back to what I said earlier is that I just remember. As a matter of fact, I videotaped a lot of those days. Um, you know, just because we we had so much fun and there was so much crazy stuff going on and. I had gotten a video camera and started just, you know, clipping things together and making these funny little road videos. And um, and he was just in such good spirits in the, in those days. I remember just, you know, um, there. I remember Tracy used to say, "Well, all the all your ex members kept telling me to, you know, that you haven't seen the other side of Dio yet." And he was like, "Well, I don't know what they're talking about." You know, Tracy and I would say that. Well, I don't know what they're talking about, man. It's, he's such a great guy to hang with. Yeah. And uh, I don't remember there being any sort of chip on his shoulder. I just remember him just going forward with what we were doing. Yes. Now, how did he help you as a as both a musician and as a person? Oh, tremendously. Um, he, you know, he helped me as a musician by just always keeping me on my toes and keeping me, uh, you know, there's a fine line between getting indulgent, so to speak, uh, especially with keyboard players. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, and he always tried to keep a lid on that with me and um, keep me in my place, so to speak. And I respected that because, yeah, it, it, you know, it, I think looking back, uh, I can see where, I, where we might have gotten a little bit keyboard indulgent on, um, on the Angry Machines album, but, you know, I'm not ashamed of it. I thought, I think we did great work. Um, but in that respect, you know, we, we, we found, a, he helped me find a middle ground between that and just doing what, what we need to do and still making it different, you know, and still making it unique. And he would come up and he would sing ideas to me and, and I would just play him right away without him having to explain anything. And I think we, we began a rapport like that that really impressed him. Mm-hmm. I just happened to have, I'm not, I don't have natural pitch, but I just happened to have a real good ear. And uh, so he'd, he'd go, ah, da, 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 and i go, okay, here. And, and I already have an idea of the sound that he wanted to hear, which was a, sounds were really important to him and to me. So, so yeah, I, um, as far as the musicianship, just... You know, he he would challenge us in a lot of ways that 
we'd be on the road and there'd be no rehearsals and he just, uh, we'd be, for instance, we'd be up late on the bus or something after a show, you know, sometimes it's late because you haven't finished playing and, and everything till midnight. And then by the time you get everybody rounded up and on the bus, before you know it, it's three in the morning. And, and so basically time to have a couple of drinks and go to bed and you go, Hey guys, I got an idea. What about if we, you know, and we end up talking about songs and, some of the songs are how we can we improve the set at like four in the morning. It's like, I'm thinking, really? <laughs> <laughs> you know, we didn't remember any of this, but we would, you know, yeah. uh, and we just, you know, sometimes we wouldn't even get to go to a sound check and work it out. We just go and we just do it. We just like, okay, here you go. This is what you said to do last night. You know, how's this? And he'd look at us and go, wow, they, I forgot about it. <laughs> <laughs> You know, and and I think he liked that a lot. So we 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 really had, we had really learned to to work together pretty with with very little effort. You know? Yeah, yeah. That seems to be a common theme I'm hearing from everybody that we talk to. Is yeah. is that it, there was like this effortless kind of vibe of everybody working together, and that and and everyone just keeps saying the same thing that you've said. It, it's fun. It was a, it was just a lot of fun. It's. And is is that pretty much? Am I pretty much on to the? Yeah, yeah. Was, yeah. He, he, you know, he, he was the leader. I mean, there was no mistake about that. You know, and uh, and he he didn't want, you know want, let everybody have their ideas put forth, especially the keyboard player, and a lot of the times, um, because he already knew what he wanted to hear, and he, he you know he was he was like a band leader. I mean, the guy was a trumpet player as he, when he started out, mm. so he was very aware of being in a band, uh, you know, in a traditional sense and, and that there had to be a leader and that he was that leader. So, you know, he, he would put his foot down and go, no, we're going to do this, you know, and no one would dare say no, but, but then he gave certain guys a, little, a, a lot of extra leeway like Jeff, because, you know, Jeff is just so uh, prolific anyway. And, and usually, and Tracy, you know, because he knew we were all on the same page, and um, but I'm trying to illustrate that also, um, you know, there was a certain amount of respect for him as the leader, uh, too. And um, but and there was no animosity there. It was just that, you know, sometimes we try his ideas, and no one would say, uh, <clears throat> uh, I don't know, we would have to wait till <laughs> until he said, uh, yeah, let's try this. <laughs> 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 I think I said. At one of the, uh, the last uh, times I got to speak on behalf of Ronnie, that um, you know he was never wrong, especially when he changed his mind. <laughs> <laughs> So, like, I've I've heard a lot of stories over the years about you know Ronnie the way he had great respect for his fans and he always took time out to meet his fans. You would have seen that firsthand over the years. So, like, was that what was his relationship with the fans like? 
signing stuff and meeting them after shows and everything? Would he just always wait around, meet everybody? Yeah, yeah. You know, th- you know that that's the theme. I mean, he stood for that really. Um, yeah. And he really did. Want, he, I mean, it was important to him, to him not to be known as one of those guys that blows off his fans and just doesn't have time for them. He, he, you know, he embraced his fans uh, with great love and respect too. And there were times when he had gotten fed up, you know, not with the fans, but just with the fact that, it, you know, it took took me quite a while to really realize the workload that was thrust upon this guy. I mean, he he had he was working day and night. You know, he's a singer. Singers, you know, rely on their voice, and he took his voice very seriously. So, you know, and it, it, there, there's got to be a lot of pressure knowing that you have a human instrument and um, it can possibly fail you. You know, it's not like a keyboard or a guitar. And uh, so he 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 took his the shows very seriously, but all day long, yet he had to do interviews and use his voice, meet fans and use his voice, yeah. and even just traveling through the hallway of a hotel, somebody would track him down. Now is you know, and instead of saying, look, man, I can't talk to you now, he'd go, okay, he'd stop and go, okay, what is it? What do you want? You want a picture? Okay, let's take a picture. Okay, uh, autograph? Okay. Then they'd dig out a whole bag full of albums, and it'd be like, you know, <laughs> you know. <laughs> and, and, and so his uh, minder or bodyguard or whatever you want to call it, uh, at that time his name was uh, a great man named Willie Fife who had been with him for years, um, who would, you know, who would say to the fans, look, you know, it's enough is enough. You know, the guy's got to rest. He's got to, he's got to do a show. And then most often Ronnie would go, no, it's okay, Willie. And then you sign that 50 albums anyway, bootlegs or not. <laughs> so oh, wow. speaking of Ronnie's voice, um, you would have seen him warm up before a show. What was his warm up routine? He never warmed up. Never. never. <laughs> Just went straight out and belted it out. And, you know, he if he did, he had a secret. I think that nobody saw. You'd never hear him doing the the lawnmower thing or any of that stuff. I, yeah. He would just have a couple. He would always he'd always be sucking on a cough drop, mm-hmm. and um, and for the most part, uh, we'd learn to talk very softly around him on the way to the show. Sometimes it would just be very silent because if we started talking, then that means he would want to start talking or he'd get annoyed because we're talking and he can't. So he'd rest, <laughs> but, you know, he, he, he mostly just, you know, would be very restful on his voice when he had the opportunity to, as opposed to what I just said, where he was being forced to talk all day. Mm-hmm. Yeah. No, man, he'd just go out there and sing, you know. Yeah. And there were times, you know, I and mean, one time in particular that I'll never forget where his feet were in buckets. And I think that was with Tracy G as well. I think that might have been Strange Highways. So those guys might have remembered this. And I mean, it was it was a blizzard outside. And we had to walk from the bus to the gig, and it was all snow and freezing, and his feet were in buckets, and they had towels all around him. And it's like, I don't know if I'm going to be able to do this show, um, you know. And uh, he wouldn't say that out loud. He'd just see it on his face. And then it would be time to go, and go, all right, let's go. You know, he'd get dressed, out we'd go, and we'd be looking at each other like, mm, how's this going to go? And he'd just blow us all away yeah that's the amazing thing I remember reading about about Ronnie is he, he very rarely cancelled a show at all never it, yeah never. incredible when we ever cancelled a show is when it was just literally uh, usually it would be because the crew would get back to us and say look this gig isn't going to work I mean we just don't have any you know the stage is too small the roof's caving in you know that kind of thing mm-hmm. 
And uh, but and then even then, Ronnie would be like, "Well, maybe can we make it work?" You know. Yeah. So no, he had. I never ever saw him cancel a show. Wow. Wow. That's that's pretty damn impressive. Yeah, that's really impressive. Is. Yeah. <laughs> you, know. you know, and sometimes I'd be five on the trot, um, as we would call it, meaning you know, five five shows in a row, no no day off. Usually, you know, singer needs you know three shows, maybe a day off, four shows, maybe a day off, and we'd have just done maybe three shows a day off and now five in a row and those would always be the topic of conversation because of course going into that it's like you're asking a lot of me here you know uh, not us but you know uh just going back to and i have to do interviews and i have you know all that kind of stuff but he, we do it you know wow. absolutely wow. amazing amazing yeah I know you're still heavily involved in a lot of stuff. I know that um, just recently you've done uh, work with my buddies in Sledge Leather. Is that correct? Yeah, I'm yeah. glad you brought that up. Yeah. Oh, I, I've had Sandy and uh, and Leather on the show twice, and uh, and they they had all glowing things to say about about you know Scott Warren did this and Scott Warren did that, and so yeah, I, I knew I'd have to ask you about it. I I uh, went into it thinking, well, this is sort of the, the way they presented it to me is because they were. You know, they said they were fans of Ronnie's and fans of mine and fans of the whole Dio family, basically. And uh, they were doing this project. And, and to me, that that's, you know, first of all, in this day and age, because of Ronnie's passing, I'm, I'm trying to be, be I'm a little bit leery because I, I swore, um, you know, in that first year, uh, 2010, I said, you know, I, don't, I might not ever play a Dio song ever again because i don't want to end up in a dio tribute band you know and just sort of you know um you know just it, it just didn't seem appropriate mm -hmm. when i heard their music uh it took a little while for me to get acquainted and i thought you know this is really good it doesn't sound like uh you know there's there's obviously a hint of deal in it but and you can tell their influence but um they they had a, a really cool style of their own with the, with the girl singer with, with leather and you know she's got a unique sounding voice and everything I, I wasn't aware of them in the past obviously they've been around for a while so I, I you know I kind of fell in love with their songs and we did only did about six or seven songs but they had this whole uh, you know sort of concept thing going on and I, and I, I had fun with it yeah. so I'm, I'm pretty proud of that little thing mm -hmm. I mean I, I don't mean little thing I mean I hope it becomes something bigger than than just uh, an EP that came out. Yeah, I know that. Um, yeah, I really loved it, and, and uh, definitely, like I said, I've had them on twice, and really trying to promote it and let people know, you know, one that that they were back, but also the fact that yeah, it is. It's just a really is a really cool piece of music, you know, with all the even with all the little small things that happen between the songs and everything else. And and there's definitely some songs on there that um, even when I was talking to Leather, she was like very happy when I heard little phrasings that she was like, yeah, I, I did that because of this one experience with Ronnie, and I did this because of this other experience with Ronnie. And so she was really happy that I, I caught a lot of those things that were in there. But she was definitely just really, really stoked that, she, that you were actually involved with the project. When you say that, I mean, what, what, what I guess what I was trying to say is there's a difference between somebody who says, you know, I, I was a fan of Ronnie's, you know, because, you know, a lot of people were fans of mm -hmm. Ronnie's. You know, or saying, you know, I've imitated him somehow, but but I learned that they really have a, a genuine type of respect and, and admiration for him, and that that's a little different to me. So I I, I really respect them for that. I mean, it's 
it's more than just being a, a cloning of him. They, they, they pretty much had this very deep and very aware uh, sense of what he was about. And so her songs do have um, a lot of little stories behind them that had to do with Ronnie. And I, I think that's great. You know, I don't mm-hmm. that cheap at all. And that song, uh, Our Fa- uh, Father's Daughter, when I heard that, I went, wow, this is really cool. That's different. That's probably one of the most different songs I think on that whole on that whole disc too. Yeah, yeah, it's a good song, and that, that those you don't hear that that often these days. You yeah. Know? first time i had her on and because uh, i had i've had leather on on a separate show i've had sledge on in a separate show and then i've had them both on together and at the end of leathers i said you know what song do you want me to play and she's like come on guest and i'm like you know i'm, I'm doing fathers right she's like, of course you are i was like okay that's you know leather wants it that's what she, that's what we're playing so yeah she's definitely she loves that song and, and um it's a cool song great yeah well, I forget what they came, the one they came out with as the single. Imagine Me Alive? Uh, that was my least favorite. Really? <laughs> song on the album, but it, uh, I can understand why they felt it should be the single. But I think if they if they had had a chance to bring out Father's Daughter enough to where people heard it, I think uh, it might have caught fire. Mm. Yeah. Pretty but, early on. Yeah, but I think Imagine's probably the most straightforward song that was on there, so it was probably a, a safer choice as a you know, an initial foray into a, trying to get a single out of it. Yeah, I believe in taking the risk, you know. Yeah. Now you have people's attention for a minute or two, you know, give them, give them what you, give them something, give them something with some real meaning. And that one really, that really sends chills down my spine when I hear it, you know. Yeah. And obviously you've been doing a lot of other stuff. So, you know, you know, what's the latest thing on, on your table? Well, right now, I mean, it's, it's been a little rough, but I mean, we're doing this, you know, the Dio Disciples. Mm-hmm. Um, and that, that's been sort of my focus, but, you know, it's, it's been difficult because it's, it's, it's about Ronnie. So, you know, it's, it's something where 
it's uh, taking its time to evolve into what we're what I what I had hoped for. Like I said, the first year or so, I hadn't hoped for anything. I was just ready to move on with with my career and and stuff. But we started to realize that out of you know that Ronnie would have wanted this, he would have wanted us to carry the torch for him. So so uh, that came about through a mutual mutual consent, and even started with Wendy, his um, strange wife and manager. So uh, it it kind of took a life of its own. It's just really been hard to keep everybody's schedules together because, you know, first of all, the economy in the U.S. and touring in the U.S. is I didn't realize how, how um, it's it's just very difficult, you know. Yeah. And uh, in, in Europe, yeah, we did we started out doing some big festivals and we've I think we've been received very well live, mm-hmm. you know, live. Yeah. Uh, and and I'm I'm just hoping that you know we we've been talking about you know and asked the question of course. And I can't say yes or no, but I mean, we, we, we've got to come out with some new material eventually um, if we're going to continue doing this as it, as it seems. And uh, and that's really hard because um, you know Ronnie was the focal point of the writing, and and so not that we couldn't. It's just a matter of how can we do it respectfully, you know, as if he was here, mm. you know. Yeah, that's got to be a hell of a task. Even if you do have, I mean, you know, Oni's great vocalist and he's a great lyrics lyricist, and you know, you've got kind of all the other elements. But yeah, that's that's like a monumental task to try to approach. Exactly. So, so that's why we haven't done it yet. We, we we've we've really just been trying to let things evolve naturally, and um, and uh, you know, we're kicking around ideas here and there, but. You know, we, we don't want to force it into something that, that is just, well, we just rushed into this so we can put something out there for people to, to go by, and, 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 and it's just not really, live, doesn't live up to, you know, what we're about, which is Ronnie's legacy. Mm-hmm. So that hasn't happened yet, but, but that's, that's been my main focus right now is the Dio Disciples. Um, it, it's the most meaningful band I've ever played in because of what it's about, and that is carrying Ronnie's torch. Yeah. You know, and, and, and I think the fans that we've played for understand that very, very well and are appreciative of that, and we're appreciative of them. And so it's a very, it's more of more of than a, than a rock band. It's an experience. Yeah, how, how difficult is it, Scott, to pick a set list? For Sorry? The, how difficult is it to pick a set list for Dio Disciples? Well, that's not really that difficult. Craig, Craig usually does that because he's always sort of been that guy that does those. You know, we each kind of have our little role that we play. And um, he usually does that, and we, you know, Simon and I, Simon does a little bit of that too, and I just kind of go, oh, that sounds good, let's do it. Um, yeah. I don't think it's hard at all. The only thing that's hard about it is that, you know, most of the time there are, there are time constraints, as there always are. Um, well, we have to do, you know, here we have an hour and a half show, and here we have a 70-minute show, and here we only got 20 minutes. Yeah. So then we have to cut out some of the songs that we really were looking forward to doing in those those cases, and just stick with do we you know do we stick with you know Holy Diver and, and the standards, or or can we sneak in a couple of the special songs that we feel are very special? And, and that's the only thing that's hard about it, you know, is, uh, is and, and there's so much material to pick from. Yeah. Have you ever played any of the Tracy songs in the set? Have we ever played? Uh, you mean Strange Highways or Our Angry Machines? Machines? Yeah. We've talked about it. Yeah. Um, let me see. Uh, we've talked about doing, in the beginning, I think we were going to do Give Her the Gun. Hopefully we will 
do mm-hmm. that eventually. I would, I would love to do, uh, you know, some, some of that material. And, you know, like I said, there's just so much to pick from, you know, from Rainbow to, to Dio and, and Black Sabbath and Heaven and Hell. Yeah, we haven't done any of the Heaven and Hell stuff either. It's what, do you, what are you going to leave out? It's the problem. Yeah, I mean, there's a lot of stuff. There's a lot of great material that has never even been done before. Mm-hmm. Ronnie never did. So, so there's a lot, a lot of that that we hope to sort of reintroduce too. There's a, uh, uh, there's a re-release that just came out, the, the uh, Very Beast Dio 2, mm-hmm. uh, that we went out and supported last year. And that's got a few tracks from, uh, from well, at least one or two uh, from the Tracy era yeah. on it. And has uh, that very thing, there's a compilation of some of the stuff that has been put out before, but also some of the stuff that's never been uh, really uh, paid attention to, just kind of got left in the, in the dust. Um, I, we were doing This Is Your Life, believe it or not. Oh, from Angry Machines. Yeah. Okay. That's a great track. Yeah, that's a very special tune because well, it's the only time Ronnie ever did a piano ballad, and I got and I was invited to do that with him. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, so we broke that one out. It was very different. Ronnie probably would have never done that live uh, because it's 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 a piano ballad. Okay. <laughs> and who sang that? Because I know you had Tim Ripper Owen singing with you as well for a while. Yeah, and uh, so, but Oni Oni sang that one with Oni did it as a duet. Okay, and he did it justice uh, because it was a more of a you know it was one of one of those that more of Ronnie's softer side type vocals, mm-hmm. and uh, it's it just oh man, it, it, playing that song and the reaction from the crowd it was just such an experience. It's so different because, like I said, Dio would have never done a. a, a you know, a slow, quiet song like that with a piano live. Yeah. yeah. And that's the kind of thing with Dio Disciples, that's a little bit what we're about, is is trying to keep his legacy alive and also, you know, bring out some of the things that maybe would have never been done by Ronnie. Not, not you know, absolutely out of respect for him, but also because he wouldn't have let us do this. And, and I know people would still like to hear some of those songs. Oh, you definitely. Know? So maybe eventually we will do Give Her the Gun or something like that. Mm-hmm. Never know. Now you had um you had Vinny play with you recently, didn't you? In Dio Disciples. That's right. Yeah. So how how did that come about? Oh, it was great. It was great. You know, I mean, I love playing with Vinny. You know, yeah. he's, you know, he's a, he's a, he's a character. He's a comedian. You know, he's <laughs> the best friends. You know, we go back a long way, back to Strange Highways. Yeah, yeah. Vinny must have played tracks then that he'd never played Dio tracks before. Um, well, I think we did mostly the stuff he had played on before. Um, some of them that he'd forgotten he'd played on. Because <laughs> 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 it's been so long. But, yeah. um, no, he pretty much knew all the songs already. Um, okay. Yeah. And it, it was, it was a lot of fun. It was great. You never, we, you never know. He may be back again, yeah. you know, cause uh, Simon's had, um, some other things going on lately. Um, and he hasn't left the band. He's just, you know, we're all just, we're kind of doing this Dio Disciple thing out of love, and uh, people don't realize that. They think we're cashing. You know, it's, you know, we really is doing doing it out of love, so we have to do other things to support ourselves, you know. It was great playing with Vinny, you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah. To rehearse with him, so he kind of had to jump in cold. He had just gotten back from South America. You know, we do need to rehearse <laughs> sometimes, <laughs> and we didn't get to, so he just kind of jumped in and just 
off we went. Okay. And there you have it. <laughs> yeah. Okay. I appreciate you guys doing the Dio Disciples. I know you guys are in a tough spot doing it because you got people that think you're just doing it for the money or this or that. And then if you put new stuff out, you know, it's like no matter what you do, there's going to be some segment that's going to bitch about it. So I admire you guys for having enough, you know, love and respect for Ronnie that you've wanted to go out and do this and i think it's cool that people that probably never got to see him live will get to go out and at least experience how the music sounded in a live setting and i was fortunate to see him i was fortunate that at least one of my daughters got to see him multiple times because i'm sure that if she hadn't she'd be pestering me about well, are they coming here we're gonna you know so uh-huh. I, you know i love the fact that you guys are doing it i hope you guys continue to to do it despite whatever kind of crap you know might come your way about it and um hopefully all the people that you know do give you crap will finally realize that you are doing it out of a real true love and respect for ronnie and that's the basis for all of it uh, well thank you for that that's uh, you know um i you just saved me a, <laughs> a a lot of breath there because you pretty much you know, I really appreciate that you feel that way, and there are a lot of people who do feel that way, and, I, and, I, and otherwise we wouldn't be doing it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But uh, it does seem to be that, you know, it's, it's pretty divided, and, and people that were naysayers that maybe happen to come to see us go, I didn't realize, you know, um, because, it, you know, I've heard a lot of Dio tribute bands around, there's a lot of those around L.A., and it's the era of so-called tribute bands, and people just want to try to put us in that category, and we're not a tribute band. We are the band. No, we aren't the original band, per se, we, but we are the band that Ronnie chose. Mm-hmm. Sorry. You know, we, not the ones that he chose and, and either quit or he fired. We're the ones that he ultimately chose to, to, to play his music, and, 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 and with that, um, we're given the torch. And, uh, and with... What you said was very <clears throat> right on, which is that we, I do see a lot of younger kids coming out of the woodwork, not even just that their, their, their parents brought them, that actually are coming to the show on their own and, and saying, you know, yeah, man, this is really cool. You know, I never got to see Dio, but I'm glad I got to hear his music live, you know. Yeah. And, and that's such an honor. I think Ronnie would have just loved that. And I, I, I know he's up there, and I, and I think he appreciates that, too. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. I definitely think that he'd want his music to live on, and and especially now as people are starting to, you know, go through the next phase of music, and people are looking back to having heavy music that has melody in it again and stuff. And and what better person to, you know, be out there doing it than Ronnie? And unfortunately, he's not with us anymore. But at least you guys are out there letting people hear this stuff again. So it's I think it's great. Thank you. Thank you very much. Well, I'll tell you, Scott, it's been awesome. It's been um, a blast. Having you on the show. Yeah. Hopefully we can have you back on again sometime if you want, and uh, we, we certainly would love it. Absolutely. I hope you can use some of this. Oh, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> a lot of yeah, this is, this is great, and I was really super psyched that Richie was able to actually, you know, get a hold of you and, and book you on, and uh, you actually have this distinction of being the, the only, the second keyboard player we've ever had on the show. The first one was Adam Wakeman, and now you, so. All right. Well, I never <laughs> have gotten to meet Adam Wakeman. I know he's doing the, the Sabbath thing again now. Yeah, so. that's true. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, he's a great. He's he's a real cool guy to talk to. So. Is, is Rick his uncle or his father? His father, father. Oh, is he really? Yeah, oh. big shoes well, to fill. Nice. <laughs> That's a good head start as a keyboard player, isn't it? Yeah, oh, yeah, I don't think he had much of a choice what he was going to play. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, was I going to say? Yeah, I'm, no, I'm honored at any time, and I really appreciate your support like that. I, I really do um, support the Sledgehammer Project, support Dio Disciples, and. 
you know, and, and support Strange Highways, and that is just, a, it is a very unique, awesome album. I'm proud to have played on it. And by the way, I don't think many people realize that I actually did play on the album. Uh, I didn't get a credit because I kind of just came in and did my thing and left. You mm-hmm. know? Yeah. Do you have a favorite track on the album? Uh, I, well, I, I I love Jesus, Mary, and the Holy Ghost. We used to open with that. I, I you know, I love Give Her the Gun. That's the one I went, man, this is steep. Yeah. Wow, this yeah. is heavy. That's a great uh, track. Now, now that I think of that, it's, it's almost similar to uh, Our Father's Daughter. But, yeah, that that one, um, man, it's it's been a while, but, yeah, um uh, What's the one? <sighs> Strange Highways, of course. Mm, yeah. Pain. That's a cool tune. Yeah. Yeah, there's, there's a few favorites. Mm-hmm. Well, it's been cool, Scott. And, and it's also cool that, you know, we anyone that didn't know you played on it now and they listen, they'll know that Scott Warren definitely was playing on the album, so we get to set the record straight on that as well. So that, uh, that also <laughs> makes me feel good to know we can do that. Yeah, I really appreciate it. Cool. All right, Scott. Well, thanks for calling in. All right, good luck, you guys. Thanks, Thanks, man. Give me a call. No problem, Scott. All right. All right, man. Hopefully that was a ton and a half of cool audio from Scott Warren on our Strange Highways Exit 5. Hope you guys enjoyed that one. I think it was definitely, a, you know, it was a blast for us when we talked to him. Uh, it was cool, to, again, doing the audio editing to listen back and remember everything we talked to him about as well. So in some sense, because we did it a while ago, it's almost like hearing it again for the first time. Definitely. Yeah. Definitely. So, yeah, I think I think really cool. And, you know, I should note that in the interview we we talked to uh, to Scott a little bit. We were talking about the keyboard player on the Cinderella tour, and I'm pretty sure that the guy I could be wrong, but I think the guy that was playing keyboards on that tour was Gary Corbett. And if you want to hear a really great interview with Gary, who spent a lot of time working for Kiss, mm. uh, then check out the Decibel Geek podcast. Yeah, it is very and good. So you'll get another great interview or two two episodes mm-hmm. with another keyboard player, somebody that you, probably not as well known as uh, Scott Warren, but I think uh, another cool keyboard player. Because part of this, you know, when we talked to Scott, was kind of the whole perspective of keyboard players in rock music. So there'll be another good kind of counterpoint episode for that. But um, I think I think another great another great Strange Highways episode. Yeah. So now we're on the tour. So the next one is going to be the European tour. So it's um it's Jerry Best, right? The yeah. bass player from the band Freak of Nature. Yeah. Uh, so he's up next, and then we're going to finish off the 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 thing with. Frank Hart and Jonathan Marshall from Atomic Opera, who right. were on the U.S. leg of the Strange Highways tour, right. but we might have someone. We might else, have someone else, right? Uh, who played on the European leg? So right. fingers crossed. We'll see. We'll see what happens we'll there. See. Yep. So we may have a uh, an eighth episode in this. We'll yeah. see. Or hey, something <laughs> else. Something else could come up in there as well. And uh, and who knows? But uh, yeah. So cool. I hope you guys enjoyed this one. We again continue to. Uh, 
to uh, want to bring them to you. And uh, in the meantime, you know, next week, back to our regular schedule. But uh, until then, have yourself a good metal week. This is Scott. And Richie. Saying, uh, remember. Focus on metal. Everything else is insignificant. You're still here? It's over. Go home.